The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, it's Hunter and Michaela, and this is the Model Citizen Podcast. We wanted to let the members of our community experience a different side of us that they see glimmers of, but never the full force. Exactly. We wanted a place where we could talk unfiltered about anything and everything, including our lives and experiences in the modeling industry, beauty, fashion, dating, sex, marriage, a dash of political commentary, and of course, pop culture, honey. We're going all the way in. Tune in every Thursday for a giggle, a laugh, and maybe even a tear or two. You've just found your new best friends, and we're so happy to have you. Let some things be retrograde. Hello, everybody. Welcome to That's So Retrograde. Elizabeth and Stephanie here. Guys, we are so thrilled to be welcoming our new friend, Molly Carmel. She's the host of What You're Craving podcast. She has 20 years experience as an eating disorder and addiction therapist. She is the author of a life-changing book for so many, Breaking Up With Sugar. Molly, we're so excited to welcome you. We're huge fans and instant besties. Is that what we're going to be? I know. I think the best part of my bio is that we're friends. (laughs) There's that. (laughs) It's so great to have you. We just did a, an episode of your show, which will be dropping, I'm assuming, simultaneously yeah. to this. count me in. Whenever we're dropping it, we're dropping it. You just say it. Great. And I feel like we should just jump right in. I love it. But why don't you just tell our audience really briefly, like, what your show is focusing on so they can know why and how and where to find and oh, I get love really that. involved. So- I was asked to start a podcast and I think that they wanted me to be like talking about like diets and food. And I was, and I've been doing this for so long. And I was like, there's no possible way I'm going to do that. I'm not interested in it. I think it promotes something I'm not interested in. And what I really wanted to talk about is what's underneath all of that. Like what's underneath, what are we really craving? Like underneath all the eating disorder and addictions, like what's really below that and really getting to the bottom of all of it. Sometimes I say we have shows that are like, why you're craving. So we do talk about some of the more like relevant information about eating disorders and addictions, but I'm so tired of talking about surface things that don't end up like band-aids when we need stitches. And as you guys know from our last conversation, like I just deep talking is my love language. And so I'm not for everyone, you know, because I don't surface conversation makes me want to jump out of a window. But I think it's time that we start talking about what's really happening so that we don't have to be turning to all of these you know, behaviors that just don't work and keep us really trapped in ourselves and not being able to be useful and connected. So we're just trying to get to the bottom of what we're really craving over there. Right. Like it's deeper than what we're consuming and 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 all that stuff. It's really like a personal, spiritual, larger yeah. conversation. Like it's about the food in some way, right? Of yeah. Course. But well, that's what I was going to say at all. about the why you're craving thing. It's like, you know, the more that you research certain foods, the more that you learn that they have addictive qualities. So like you could be powerless over like sugar, for example, why you probably don't believe in sugar is because it's a drug and you are powerless to sugar because you, because your craving is bigger than your mind. Yep. And let me just say, I don't believe sugar is addictive for everybody. And I don't believe everybody should be giving up sugar. As I told you guys on our, our last date that we just went on, I literally think if somebody tells you that there's one way, run away. Mm. And in fact, the food addiction, like space is so militant 
And it's mm-hmm. like, know this, know that. And it's and it, and half the reason I wrote a book about food addiction is because I believe the only way you can actually get into recovery from a food addiction is to be more harm reduction about it, is to be more self-forgiving about it, is to really think about it like a relationship, not mm. like an eating disorder diet, which I think in many ways is how it's sold. So I think there's a lot of reasons that people may want to break up with sugar and it works for a lot of people. And it is the key to why a lot of people can't get into a healthy relationship with food. But I want to say upfront, like, I don't think it's for every, I don't think anything's for everybody. Mm. And I certainly don't think that is. Yeah. And I, think if you I can, really, like, I really love how you talk about this all because I think you're bringing a lot to the surface that has been in, in the back of our heads and in, in our shadows and bringing it to the forefront and like saying like, Hey, like, a buffet can be fucking triggering, you know, like that's so relatable for so many people for so long. I lived there. I had that. So like just when I hear it, there's voice to it and 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 the science behind it and the discussion around it. It's just very um, helpful. Thank you. I agree. And I think the more we're sharing our greatest truth, the easier it is to overcome it. So it's like, there's mm-hmm. so many shameful secrets about eating. And I think there's also this idea that you can't get well. You know, I was talking to somebody like this, really someone in the addictions field. And she said, well, I just don't think I can ever have a good relationship with food. And I said, that's completely untrue. Like that is actually like, let's not even sign that doc, you know, like mm-hmm. let's not do that. There's ways you can, it's not, you know, it's not always comfortable and it takes some digging, but I think it's totally possible. I know that Elizabeth and I both want to talk about, and we've had this kind of, not problem, but like snafu when it comes to being in wellness and discussing nutrition. And it's almost like you can't be in wellness talking about nutrition without stepping on the landmine of like diet culture trigger words. I know. And, and trigger behaviors. It's like, it's twofold. It's like, A, we fall into the same trap, which I know you want to talk about, but B, why are we not allowed to talk about nutrition and food as, as it pertains to your own health without people getting so upset that we're, we're doing something that's like not encouraging a healthy lifestyle. It's, it's something that I know both her and I have had like struggles with because the fact of the matter is nutrition matters. Well, yeah, it's feeding our bodies. <laughs> yeah. And so like, we have to be talking about that. And it's also, I think, okay to not want to feel uncomfortable in your body. And yeah. so it's like this weird constrictive category. And I really want to just like give you the floor. Well, yeah. it's a constrictive category too. And you're um, like at a, you know, at a healthy weight or whatever words we're using these days, I'm sure I'll just get a, I mean, I don't get that much hate mail. So I'm sort of down for some hate mail. You know what I mean? And our <laughs> audience is, is, no, our audience is like super loving and, and, and most of the time wants to have these conversations. But I just noticed particularly around like this, we've hit sore spots. It's also so, I think it's so indicative of where we are as a culture right? Mm-hmm. This toxic tribalism, because that's what we're talking about here, right? Girl. We are talking about getting to the corners and protecting our corner with our life, which is, mm-hmm. you know, a scarcity mindset, a closed-minded mindset. I think it's killing a lot of people when we're talking about food, weight, and eating disorders. Because the thing about food, weight, and eating disorders is every single person is different. And we're trying to get ourselves into categories 
that don't serve. And the other thing I really do think, which is diet culture is so toxic diet culture in and of itself. I'm not getting into like, I'm not moving into the other part you know, the health at any size, right. that kind of stuff. I'm really just talking about the grind and the multi-billion dollar industry that keeps you stuck in the binge and restrict cycle. And, you know, when you've done that to yourself for a number of years, like that is straight trauma. Like that yeah. is straight trauma, right? Because you're effectively having somebody abuse you and also abusing yourself for someone like me, like 20 years of it, right? That's going to do something to your personality, period, right? That's going to do something to your, well, as on this show, that's going to do something to your soul. That is a soul crushing experience. So in some ways it would make sense that you would flee that, go all the way to the other side and guard that other side with your life. Totally. I don't think anybody's like pro-diet culture. I think some people are like stuck in the addiction of diet culture, but I don't think anybody's like, yeah, like this cleanse is amazing and saying it like in a, well, some people are saying it in a proud way, but it's a very eating disordered way. I do think the anti-diet people have been so harmed by diets that it's made their reaction incredibly emotional and lacking some wisdom, right? And I'm, I say this, so, absolutely. Right, and I think it's right. I think it's so valid, but it's and I when I say lacking wisdom, I mean wisdom as the combination of emotion and rational, right? Mm-hmm. I mean like that Venn diagram of what's in the middle of our, when our emotions and our reason meet together, right? And it makes a lot of sense. I, I think the part that I actually don't even take much issue with it because I think like you do you boo. What I do take issue with is, is judging others for wanting to be more middle pathed in their relationship with food, right? Because if right. you're in the anti-diet culture and you say like, you look at some of the celebrities that are, you know, deciding to take a different route with their health and they're releasing weight and they are getting flack for it right? They're getting flack for it. And I think it's a choice. You mean like we can't love Adele now that she is- Right. And, and Rebel Wilson. Totally. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, but can we go back? Because I'm, I feel like I've never asked this question like societally in general. What is, what do you think? Where do you think that this whole diet culture thing started? And, and it can't be so simple as there were just thin models and we all just like gleamed onto that. Like, is it, when did it start? Because I can remember a time in my life when everything was diet and light, L-I-T-E. Yeah, me too. I was drinking and, tab. At yeah, six. yeah. So is this, what is the root of this consciousness that we're all like still tethered to? I mean, I know that's a really big question, but like yeah. that's really what we're all still trying to untwist from, right? Well, I mean, I think it's like super patriarchal, right? I mean, I think it really keeps us down if you really want to look at it in that way. I mean, I think, and I think, listen, I think when we are lacking connection to something bigger than us, we'll take anything we can get to pray to, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And there is nothing like that. so great to pray to as like self-hate and not enoughness oh. and perfectionism. You know, it mm-hmm. is, it's a, it's a shitty God, but it works real well, right? Because that idea, I was once in treatment for codependency. And the woman said, want to know the way to live a miserable life? Guaranteed be a perfectionist. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think you get into this like illusion and you get into this idea like, okay, this one, oh no, no, this one's going to work. Oh no, no, this goes. And then I'm bad. And I'm bad. If I just do it a little bit more, 
And that just becomes its own, your, its own loop in your head. And it's like, it's literally like a Spengali and you can't break from it. The amount, like when I, you know, I'm like an evolve or die kind of gal. And when I started doing this work with people in food addiction, and I was like, okay, this is the thing. You know, anytime I say this is the thing, it's just <laughs> the universe is like, that's hilarious. It's so <laughs> Yeah. Because I would sit with people and then I would just like sort of be so pensive. Like, I don't know what's worse in this session right now. Their addiction to sugar or their addiction to dieting and perfectionism. I don't know which one is actually interfering more in this particular moment. And more often or not, like it's not breaking up with sugar is like a thing. Like, here's your thing, do it. And in a way it can become super diety, right? And it can become super eating disordered. Like, don't get me wrong. It can flip on you in a dime if you're not doing it in a way, if you're doing it in a way that's a diet. And how do you, just to, to stop you, because I think that's a really important thing to take note of, like, how do you coach people or, or, or guide people into not allowing that to slip into that category? Well, I think, first of all, I'm really clear with people about, like, if you're in an unhealthy relationship, sugar, and there are, like, evidence-based quizzes you can take, right? Like, there's evidence-based okay. things that you can really know. Cool. But I think when anything becomes too obsessive, it's a problem. And I think in many ways, the problems with addictions and eating disorders is that they come with enormous blind spots, like enormous blind spots. And so it is really sometimes hard to figure out like what's the forest and what's the trees and all of it, especially in diet culture. Like it is so hard. Like I think a lot of, I think a lot of, you know, of our culture is an eating disorder trapped in something. Like I think all of this particular, this in particular that, you know, I, I think it's, it's, it's not, a, it's just, it's not a free life. And so for people who Wouldn't really you say it's what comes to mind for me is like in a, a life that can feel very hard to control what we consume is sort of like one of those things. Yeah. And I think in a way that like that can be really healthy and then that can take on its own life. And again, Absolutely. it's like it's, a lot of the work I've done in my career is, is being the witness of the blind spot, right? To say, hey, I just had this, this thing happen with, with a woman where I was really like, this isn't your, I don't even know if you're addicted to sugar, right? Like I actually, and I said, I, I, I don't know you that well, but I don't know that you're addicted. I think you're just really hungry. And the problem is, is that a lot of people who are eating disorders and say, yeah, 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 I'm addicted to sugar. Let me give that up. And then you watch and it happens like this. And then they give up sugar and then they give up the flour and then they give up the nut butter and then they give up. And then they, and then it's like, you know, no wonder you're binging on six peaches. You know, she's like, but then I binged on six peaches. I was like, I would binge on 80 peaches if I was eating what you were eating. Like, mm-hmm. and that's the interesting. Starving. And with the in anorexia, like it's so interesting, right? Because the hungry, hungry brain is the only thing you need to treat in the beginning, in anorexia. You can't, can't actually do any cognitive work while you're that hungry here. And the only right. thing like anorexia is like really like to like talk about it all so that they don't have to eat. Or, and it's much deeper than that, by the way. I don't want to offend anybody because I think it's actually, you know, there's no evidence base to treat anorexia. It's a fascinating illness in and of itself. But I think that that's the problem, which is why um, I do think that if you are predisposed to eating disorder, it's important to have trusted people around you who are going to, and, and it's important to listen 
when people are concerned about you, not necessarily doing anything, but just knowing how slippery all this stuff is and how, you know, it can turn on a dime. There's no clinical evidence to support treating anorexia. So it's not, it's just, they don't know what thing works. Oh, because it's like it comes from a variety of different. There's a lot of different. Points. Yeah, there's a lot of different treatments that work for a lot of different situations. So if you are struggling with this, the person you want to find to treat you is a person who's treated it a lot. That's so interesting. So that they can say, oh, you know what? In this case, like it's that you want to find someone with 10,000 hours. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because there's no like linear reason for that experience. Right. And just lots of different things work a lot of the time. It's really, it's a fast, I don't do it that much, but I've been on mm-hmm. teams with it and just, I find it, you know, really, int- I do more of the eat, uh, compulsive overeating, binge eating, bulimia, that kind of stuff. Hi guys, just taking a break here to talk about a very wonderful partner that we love so much. And that is Huzzah. Are you guys fans of sparkling beverages in your refrigerator? available at all times that are good for you. I certainly am. I love Huzzah so much. It sounds like I'm lying, but I'm telling the truth. It's like a probiotic seltzer and it's delightful. It comes in three flavors, raspberry, lemon, strawberry, hibiscus, and juicy pear. And they're all so delicious. They, for me, my favorites go strawberry, hibiscus, juicy pear, raspberry lemon, I think. But then sometimes I crack open a raspberry lemon and I'm like, damn, that's tangy. That's fruity. That's citrusy. Yes. They are probiotics in a seltzer, non-alcoholic. And yeah, what, what can I say? It's my dream to open my fridge and have it just chock full of delightful fizzy beverages. If Huzzah is in there, I know, I know I'm doing life right. So order yourself a case, see what it feels like to just be at home and get to have access to a delightful fizz, the delightful fizz of a huzzah. Huzzah. It's huzzah.com, H-U-Z-Z-A-H.com, code retrograde for 20% off. Listen, if I were you, I'd order one case of each. You get 20% off. That's what I would do. Try it. You'll like it. You'll come back for more. Promise. Huzzah.com. Code retrograde. Love yous. Today's episode of That's So Retrograde is brought to you in part by our friends over at Savage X Fenty. Really, it's all about wearing lingerie for yourself and feeling good in your skin. And I feel like they're doing that so beautifully over there. So they have hundreds of exclusively designed pieces that you can't find anywhere else that are available in an extensive range of sizes. I'm talking size 32A to 42H and extra small to 3X. It really is lingerie for every body. So I checked out the site. I love a bralette. I'm a bralette girl. And so I picked out the Mod Poppy lace bralette with matching bottoms to go with it. And I have to tell you, it's such a great piece. I'm surprised can I say this, that I was surprised at how good the quality was considering the price. Uh, So affordable. And this bralette, not only was it super comfortable, but I love how I can actually wear it under a t-shirt. Usually like a more ornate piece only looks good on its own, but this actually looks good under clothes. The move here is to become an extra VIP member because then you're going to end up getting 
two bras for $29 plus 50% off everything site-wide when you go to savagex.com slash retrograde. So when you're part of the extra VIP, which mind you, there's no commitment to buy or spend. You can pause it at any time. You can skip as many times as you want. You only buy what you want and you never have to pay for what you don't want to shop. Needed to say that. So as an extra VIP, you'll save 25% on every style every day, plus free shipping on orders over $49, access to specially priced VIP sets and early access to shop the newest drops. Savage X Fenty has it all. Guys, get into it and become a VIP. Get two bras for $29 plus 50% off everything site-wide over at savagex.com slash retrograde. Tap in and become a VIP. Get two bras for $29 plus 50% off everything site-wide at savagex.com slash retrograde. Newly is a subscription fashion company where you choose any six styles that you want to rent each month. You have access to thousands of styles for more than 100 brands. And who wants to break the bank for something that you're only going to wear one time? Let's do our part to be better at recycling fashion and not creating waste. And that's why I love Newly. They have styles in a range of sizes from petite to plus size up to 5X plus maternity. They carry labels like Love and Lemons, Love Shack, Fancy, Lisa Says Ga. Ugh, I love Lisa Says Ga. Free People, Anthropology, and more. There is fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. You will never have to do any laundry. You wear the piece, you send it back. They take care of it for you. Like I was saying before, Newly is a sustainable option that lets you love fashion in a way that's kinder to the planet. They also ship their orders in recycled, recyclable, and reusable totes with no plastic packaging. Clothes are clean using energy and water efficient methods. And most importantly, the styles are repaired and upcycled rather than thrown out. So that means that they are encouraging you to wear and re-wear clothing as much as possible, which as we know, is one of the most sustainable choices that you can make. And that is what Newly is specializing in, as well as this fun thing, which is there are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or any fees whatsoever to pause or cancel. So if you lose a button, if you spill something, or you just need to take a break from the subscription, they're not going to charge you for it. I'm obsessed. Newly is so cool. So cute. Newly is already a great value at $88 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code retrograde 20. Just go to newly.com, that's N-U-U-L-Y.com and use the code retrograde20 to sign up and get $20 off your first month. That's newly.com, newly with two U's with code retrograde20, newly subscription clothing rental, change your clothes. Should we talk about diet culture and wellness culture and how they've been turned into like one thing? <laughs> yes. Or Elizabeth, absolutely. do you want to like kind of phrase that better? Yeah. I, feel like I mean, we see I think like orthorexia. Obviously, obviously in doing this show. Wait, can like we also talk about exercise bulimia while we're up? If we're going to talk about orthorexia? Sure. Yeah. Because I just want to add about it all to the it. list. Okay, great. Yeah. So, um, you know, Steph and I got into the show because we were like curious about feeling good and all those different things that were interesting to us as to why we wanted to unpack them. All of that. Obviously, the industry was much different seven years ago than it is now. And it's been fascinating to sit in a place and watch it evolve and be speaking about it in real time and all of those things. And one of these 
you know, branches that have grown, a very obvious branch that has grown from this expansion of this industry is that rebranding of diet culture just turning into wellness and that merge. So we've we've seen this happen. We've played witness to it. We've had conversations that may have stepped into that unintentionally. And and we've learned so much in terms of, as Steph said, like it's a hard thing to talk about because it's like the wellness conversation and the H-A-E-S conversation and all of it wrapped in together. And it's it's tricky and it's complex and it's nuanced, but also you can't ignore that like wellness has is a made over diet culture. Absolutely. It's and part I think, of it also. And I think, you know, who's getting involved and and their motive for getting involved is is also really interesting. Like I think people bring their untreated trauma to helping heal people and they're not invested in healing themselves. And I, I think I, I I think where I sit, I do so much healing of the healing, healing of the experience that people have been through and and explaining, you know, why that may not have worked or, you know, and the other thing I just want to say is like, it really is a relationship with food. And I I don't know, like no relationship stays the same ever. Or if it does, it's a really small, you know, relationship you can't grow in. And I just know, I haven't had sugar flour for 12, 12 years, but it doesn't look the way it looked in the beginning. You know what I mean? And my relationship with food and myself. And I think there's this, because they've, they've really gotten in bed with each other, there's no space to evolve and grow and change teachers and all the things that we're supposed to be doing in life and move on and not be focused on it. And, um, I think it is frightening to be honest, because I come from a clinical, I mean, I come from this very personally, right. But I was trained so clinically, I was on a podcast and I said something like when I was morbidly obese and she said, why are you using that language? How, what, 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 what's the choice? And I was like, I don't know. I never thought about it. Like I've never <laughs> thought about some of that. I'm like, I don't know. It's just the term I've used forever and ever. And I guess there's, I think there's a part where we're Is like, there something wrong with that term? I think so. What, what, sorry, I'm, I've, I've never really referred to, to anyone in that way. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I was using like a clinical term. I think that when I was but it's because you're at risk for for I think it's just the way that disease. Yeah, there was right? a risk for death and disease. I think, you know, it's based on a BMI, morbidly obese. And, you know, obviously that's like a really shitty indicator of anything. I think like, listen, I'm also like a little bit, I'm new school, but I'm a little bit old school. I've been doing this for a really long time. And I don't know that I've converted that much of my language. And I don't even know that I want to convert that much of my language. I think we need to get a little bit of like a thicker skin about talking about things because I think part of the reason that wellness culture and diet culture have been able to get into bed and really take over in, in, in a pretty evil way, we could say, is because we're all having the secondary conversation in our heads about like, am I offending? I don't want to hurt this person. It's like, I, I think sometimes not purposefully, but we're going to hurt feelings and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to say the wrong thing and we're going to try the wrong treatment. And it can't always be at like a threat that we're going to be sued or a threat that we're going to be canceled or a threat that we're bad people. I mean, I think this grip on the the trauma of what diet culture has done to us has allowed for us to not heal as much. And, and do you think that like, you know, because when we, when we look at like the overall health of a body, like the reality is there are, there is a level of, it's not like 
to say size is the wrong thing, but it's a level of disharmony in the body, like whether it's obesity or something that does create comorbidities with other illnesses. And so it's like, where do we talk, where do we talk about that? Where it's like, you're not, you're not using it. It's not a diet, but it's like, you are putting yourself at risk for other things. Well, I mean, I just, I think that there are enough people that want help. You know what I mean? Like, this is how I always think about it. Like, I don't even, like, I don't even, I think the idea that if you're in a body that feels uncomfortable and unfamiliar to you, that you get flack for wanting to make adjustments that are in the spirit of integrity, that that's frowned upon is just not like, it's just unacceptable. Am I, you know, like that, that's another question I've been asked is like, cause I weigh 325 pounds. Right. And this, this wonderful woman asked me this question. She said like, what part do you think was obesogenic culture that made you lose that weight, right? Like the prejudice of being morbidly obese. And what part do you think was like you really, you know, you? Like she was making a sort of assumption to say like, do you think it was cultural that you like had to lose this weight? And I was like, listen, no underwear. I couldn't find underwear. Like I couldn't wear necklaces. I smelled. I could, you know, perhaps if there were seats that were bigger and underwear that was bigger at the time, would I have maybe not made that choice? I still don't think so because when we're talking about like on a, like on a soul level, two things, totally knew that was not the body I should be in. And here's how I knew because the things I was doing to my body were so out of integrity mm. in every minute of my day. And my attempts to try to be different weren't working, which is a, a little bit of addiction to me, right? So it's a larger problem. And so it's like, and I think, I don't know because I don't know everyone's experience in this world. There may be people that are in these bodies and like they're good with it. And then, you know, and they have a, a plate against them because it is an obesogenic culture. But I think there are a lot of people who I interact with who are like, I cannot live in this body and I cannot continue to go to eating disorders therapists telling me that I have to learn how to be in this body. Right. And I'm like a big proponent of that. I'm like, Yes, let's let's work on that together. Like let's work on that together. Right. So what was it for you really that like, you know, how, what was the the straw that broke the camel's back? What was the the final thing? Cuz I feel like that's challenging. Well, there was two. There's really two things. So the first thing was that I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan as we were talking about Elizabeth. I mean, I, never I, not coming back to Michigan. I straight, <laughs> I straight forever. I think I straight. I, mean, I think I straight was going to die. I mean, I I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs. I remember I came back to New York and I was walking in Grand Central Station with my two best friends, and they just had these looks on their faces, like like they were really a lot of people were really worried about me. My grandmother um, was watching Carney Wilson on the Oprah Show, who had just had bariatric surgery. My grandmother's the only person who wasn't scared of me, and she called my mother up and she said, I'm paying for Molly to have bariatric surgery. I don't give, I don't care. This is what's happening. The moral of the story is I, I, that's not the bottom. That was one of the bottoms. I ended up eating my way through bariatric surgery, which does speak to a medical intervention, not helping you I don't emotionally. think we know what that is. Bariatric surgery, when you get your stomach rerouted, your intestines rerouted and your stomach turns into the size of, it's called gastric bypass. Gastric bypass. Sure. Bariatric. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I ended up eating my way through that. Just Wow. You mean like, like it expanded again? Yeah, yeah. And I ended up gaining almost all of my weight back from that. So that was the first 
intervention of you're committed. I really am. I really am. <laughs> I want I what it. I want, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think the second one was, you know, and I think like I think as we were saying on on my show and we were all talking, like I knew from a very early age that this was I was at weight loss camp, Weight Watchers camp, and I like knew in the bottom of my soul that I was having the best summer of my life. But um, I was going to go home and regain my weight. Like I just knew that was going to happen. And and I got my skinny jeans and it was amazing. And then I was in home ec and the button popped off of my pants and it was so humiliating. And I just like knew that how they were helping people wasn't the way to help people. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. You know, so my friends at, you know, working at Chanel, my friends working at the SEC and I'm just like working at weight loss camps because I need to get to the bottom of this. Like I need to figure it out. And so part of my path was being like an actively eating disordered therapist, you know, Interesting. which was talk about a soul sucking endeavor. I mean, seriously, mm-hmm. like a bottom out soul sucking endeavor. And, you know, there was just this one day and, and I think that's how it happens in change. Like, like I've just been an addiction therapist long enough and like, you just never know what's going to be the thing that changes you. And I think you never know which attempt at trying to quit is going to be the one that works, which is sort of why we never give up. Right. And so I was like at work and they dropped off some muffins, you know, the drug reps. And I'm like, having a moment and I just down like three muffins in the, in the workroom and they go down the wrong chute and I go to the bathroom to throw them up. And my boss walks in on me in the bathroom. My eating, she's like one of the top eating disorders doctors in the country. And she writes me this email after and she says, um, Hey, can you uh, deal with that thing that we just saw? Let me know if you need anything. And I was like, Uh just went down the wrong chute. No worries. And it was a really, it was a, it was a, it was an emotional bottom. Like it wasn't, that's not like the worst thing I've done with food. Like, please don't hear that. Like I'm a gnarly binge eater. I'll get out of the garbage. No problem. But something in that moment. And I think the other piece was like, I was about to lose my career in that moment, right? Like it was just enough of the lies, enough of the deceit, enough of the whole thing. I'd been gaining weight hand over fist in my practice. You know what I mean? And it was just like, and it's not about the weight. It was just about the, again, it was about the behavior. Like I was just like, a movie, like it's like it was out of control. Talk about like powerlessness and unmanageability as they talk about. And it was just like, I, I just, I started to go to circles of women talking about food after that and slowly but surely. And then slowly but surely it was revealed to me that the real problem for me was sugar and flour. And it was the last thing I wanted to do. And I was protecting sugar. Like it was like my life. It was my solution. I had no interest. I would have done anything except for do that. And was the solution. Here I am imperfectly. And that's the other piece of this, like so fucking imperfectly. This is really interesting. And I think this is where this conversation in the wellness and the diet culture and all where it intersects and it gets hard because it is. And this is like a, if you're going to take anything away from that's so retrograde efforts, there's no one size fits all. And where, where, restricting can be so detrimental to someone's soul. On one hand, it can be the savior to somebody else. And I think we need to really just sit with that and understand that because you talk about your experience and, you know, we talked about that, like you might sometimes get like feedback of like, you're being a therapist. All I get stuff. is negativity. Oh my okay, goodness. Okay, talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, they're like, like all, all I do is like, 
that this is creating eating disorders. This is creating dependency. And I think like, and I, the way that I'm a harm reduction food addiction person, right? And so I believe like you start where you are, you do a lot of experimentation, you stay very, very open to like lapsing things. Like I don't, I don't think rigidity is a solute, a long-term solution for anybody or anything, right? There's, cause it's, again, it's like that scarcity mindset is everything that the three of us, I like, completely disagree with. But I think when I say, and when I promote that I don't eat sugar, it's not everybody. Cause I, like, I, you know, I don't know. I've had like plenty of like gastro people on my show that are like, totally, what a great thing, right? It's really people who have been impacted by eating disorders, right? It's really the toxic tribalism. And it's from their, this is the problem. It's from their own experience, right? And I understand that culturally we've moved away from experts, right? They've scorned us. They've harmed us. I get it. I get it. I get it. There has to be these middle paths that we meet on that we can't just be focusing on what one person's experience is and that that's going to work for us. Like that can't be, there has to be more to our selection in how we decide to run our bodies. And then I think as important, there has to be an openness for when that isn't working anymore and it's time to adjust and it's time to add something new and it's time to try something else. And it doesn't mean torching the car and leaving it on the highway and mic dropping and saying like, fuck it, like, which is what diet culture tells us to do. Oh, it doesn't feel like it's working. Cut and run. Done. It's really actually one of the most beautiful acts of like self-love and self-knowledge is taking stock of what is working in your relationship with food and what isn't and what steps you might want to take to bring you closer to yourself and to divinity and being open and being awake. The thing about eating disorders that I think we all know is that, and I say, I really want, I I need to say this in a way that people hear it. It's such a selfish illness. And by selfish, I I don't, it's, that's not a judgment. It it makes us so full of ourselves and of self-obsession. And this is what we're talking about orthorexia, right? It's like, and I just need this exact thing. And I'm not going to go out to that dinner because they're not going to have like that exact thing. And I can't, and I have to, it's like, that's not like, that's not life internally, but that's not life being of service and being awake and being useful. And I think one of the reasons, like, I think it is important to heal eating source and get out of the toxicity of the tribalism is so that we can be like sharing ideas and beliefs. And like, I think I'm of a different genre of food addiction people because I think I've been doing it a long time. And I really do find that rigidity works for nobody. Rigidity encourages people to lie to you as a therapist. I'll tell you that, right? Quickest way to lie to your therapist, be like, you have to do this. You know, Mm -hmm. people, the only piece of data that really exists that's universal is the data that says that the way that people change is through self-determination, right? Through figuring it out for themselves. One of my old boyfriends would say, well, the first time I went to rehab, it was for my dad. And the second time I went to rehab, it was for me. But that's the whole story, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Wow. I love the way you said all that. And I think that it's pretty normal to be saying something that's a little bit challenging and to get blowback. Yeah. So, you know, we want to all be treated like with kid gloves in this way, but it doesn't actually like make a change. No. And so I appreciate your mentality about that because sometimes it's hearing the hard thing that makes you 
do the thing that you're supposed to do. Well, and I think also when you've struggled with eating disorders for so long, it does like the coping mechanism of denial is how you survive. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of like what's sold in anti-diet culture and intuitive eating. That's like an easier sell than what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Like, and it, and it does foster the denial. It's like, cool. Like it's not good for me to, you know, stop eating sugar or lessen sugar, even though I sort of know it's toxic for me, but I'm just going to go on the other side and just like eat peanut butter out of the jar. Cause like the health coach on Instagram said that like, I'm a bad person if I can't eat the peanut butter from the jar. Like, I just wish we would turn on our brains, you know? And I, and I just, and a part of me just wishes like we could just respect everyone's choices for a minute. Cause even if you go into like a gnarly eating disorder, like if you're true to yourself, like you'll find your way out of it. And probably like I've been in gnarly eating disorder cycles. It's like, you know, I've had my friends be like, you look like an elbow, you know? And them saying that to me, I was like, whoa, I need to go get some help right now. You know? And like, that's, I don't know. I think that's the beautiful part of life. It's so imperfect. The relationship is imperfect as you're one with food, you know? I heard mm-hmm. you say um, on one of your episodes, like you have to take morality out of a churro. Like you, like I heard you say, like the eating the peanut butter is a bad, like being bad, like taking like the act of consuming something and being bad or good is we have to remove that. I, I think, think that's right. Well, because it doesn't allow for there to be any change, right? Like the solution to everything in life is accurate emotional expression, right? Like saying what you mean to say. So if I'm walking around, I mean, we just talked about this too. Like if I'm walking around, I mean, like I'm such a, I'm such a piece of shit. I can't believe I just did that. It's like, there's no way I'm making healthy choices walking around feeling like that. Like that's just right. going to be get more churros. Not that churros are good or bad. For me, churros aren't bad. They're toxic. And they make me emotional and they make me tired and they make me, put on weight that my body doesn't want to be holding. And there are ways that I can cope with life that doesn't require that I do things that harm me. And by the way, sometimes I do things that harm me, like welcome to being human, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And so then just to bring it back to this, this, how that morality has kind of like come into wellness and like the do and the should and it it is so and that so, you're the problem. I, I've seen so many health coaches be like, it's not the diet that doesn't work. It's that you're not working the diet, which if I could put my hand, I, it makes me like literally homicidal. So what's the alternative message to that? Like, how can we as people in this space, how can we support healthy conversation around this and talk about it in a way that feels I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's a way to like be unoffensive to anybody. In well, first of all, age. clearly there isn't. Right. Like, welcome right. to America. That's like not even a like, goal that's not even at a this thing. point. That's not even but a thing. But you, do you understand what I'm saying? I do. Like, I think that, I think first of all, like the answer is never the opposite. It's always the balance, right? I mean, we have to get there, right? And so like when you, like we were just, I mean, before we were filming, you guys were like, we have this big question. And I'm like, everybody has this question for me. How do you, how are you abstinent from foods? You do not eat foods and you're still anti-diet culture. And I'm like, well, because that's what works for me. And I don't do it in a way that's restrictive. I do it in a way that's mostly biochemical and largely spiritual. I am so shut off from source when I'm in sugar. I can't, I, sugar's the God. I mean, period, right? And so I think that we need to have, 
we have to identify what is our fear when we're judging others and then you know and and is it even useful when we're shaming other people for making choices right like how is that useful how are we ever going to get to like a middle path when we're shamed of her doing this and we're shamed of her doing that. And so I think it's just like, I wish everybody could just see the root of their judgment of others. It's so about us, right? I mean, that's always, mm-hmm. anytime we're judging, we're judging ourselves. It's our own stuff, right? And so when it becomes like a Molly problem that, I mean, I'm telling you, even my stuff with intuitive eating is largely personal because of the dollars I spent on trying to become an intuitive eater and how it almost killed me and it almost killed people I love and things like that. Like, it's still about me. And I'm like sitting here and I'm a professional saying that. And I think if we can move, I mean, listen, the other thing I want to say, which is really, really honest is there's not a whole lot of money in the middle path. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Say that again. There's not a whole lot of money in the middle path and there's no common enemy, right? So if we're like, hey, you do you. You find a different teacher here. You don't have retention. You know how much it costs to get a new client in the system. I mean, there's a whole... You know, and and in all cultures, because intuitive eating in and of itself has now become its own culture over there. They right. are there, you know, they're like sort of they carry the I hate Molly signs, which is fine. But like I think that's the piece of it where it's like we aren't respecting people's choices. And I'm I'm not, I don't think someone heals from an eating disorder by being shamed. Certainly. Yeah. So what's the point of all of this? People are going to come out of their eating disorder when they hit a pain point or they see a motivational force, period. Mm -hmm. That is the two ways that people change, positive reinforcement and natural consequences. Mm. So us knocking out all this like toxic tribalism is doing nothing but making people keep secrets, feel shitty about themselves and their choices and never, ever, ever knowing their true selves inside, which is this whole point of life, if you ask me. Right. Wow. I feel like we should end there because that is just wisdom for like the, the ages right now. Like yeah, I it's about everything. With one question and I'm co-opting this from your show. I want to ask you, what are you craving? Uh, I'm always craving vulnerability and love and truth and connection. And there's, it's just, and the, they used to, they say, my staff always says, you know, truth is Molly's down regulator. Like, I want, like, I want, I want to know, I only want to know that, like, you're struggling with your breakup. I don't want you pretending like everything's okay. Like, that, that is a true, my love language is really knowing other people and really, like, one heart talking to another heart, one spirit talking to another spirit. That's always what I'm craving. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I hope you feel like we gave you that today. I have to say, <laughs> I am like ready for a little like nap, a little bath, some salts, the whole night. I'm feeling great. I gotta tell you. Awesome. That is time. Thank you so Thank much, you. Molly. Will you tell Thank our audience you. where they can find you? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Molly Carmel. I am at my website, mollycarmel.com, where you have like so much free stuff. And I'm at What You're Craving on Wednesdays, drops on Wednesdays. So come over and hang out with us over there. And I like do love like a good DM. I just, I don't know. I spend a lot of time talking to people. It just matters to me so much, all of this. So come hang. Thank you so much for Thank all you your so work. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Retrograde.